You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. As you know, my name is Rafael. Mi nombre es Rafael. ¿Cómo están ustedes? My name is Rafael Saracual, and uh, um, I'm an associate pastor, and he's my wife and my son, Santiago, right here. But I have two more, so I got a picture for you. There you go. So that's Nina and Sebastian. Uh, Santiago is 11, Nina's eight, and Sebastian turned five this month. Um, so he's excited because he feels like he's a big boy now. Uh, he gets to do big boy things. Um, you know, I learned um, through public speaking that if you want people's attention, if you want people to really look and, and, and hear and get what you, what you have to say, show them a picture of your family. So there you go. So now you listen to me, okay? <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> I just want to highlight my wife. Um, we have been married for almost 17 years. Wow, it looks like it was yesterday. Um, but, you know, th th there is a phrase, a well-known phrase that, you know, behind every great man there is a great woman. I don't think I am great, but I have a great woman behind me. So thank you, baby, for being there for me. <laughs> Amen. Well, um, I, get, I have the privilege to share the message today, but I don't want to start without highlighting or doing a little recap of what Pastor Mark shared last week. Who was here last week? What a message, right? So he was uh, so dynamic with his word. You know, he was talking to us uh, about John. You know, we're going through a series in, in the book of John, chapter by, uh, by chapter. And he started us off with chapter one, in the beginning. Will you have made Jesus screw? And, uh, you know, that was a, a very interesting question when, when you hear how he developed the message. But he started us off with, um, he gave a great explanation on why the book of John was not written to a specific group of people. Like in the case of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who were written, who, they were written to the Jews, the Romans, and the Greeks, respectively. The Gospel of John, it looks like it was written to the whole world because it, it took the revelation of Jesus in a, in a greater way, more than just the Messiah, more than just the fulfillment of the law, more than just the fulfillment of the prophets. He portrayed Jesus as the Son of God, the creator of everything and the Savior of the world. What a display. What a way to describe him. You know, one of the first books I read when I became a Christian was the book of John, and I devoured it. I, I, I ate it up. It was, it was amazing to see the way Jesus was presented, and it just made me fall in love with him. So the fact that John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved it is amazing because that's what you will feel when you read the book of John. You will just fall in love with Jesus. It is amazing. But, but Pastor Mark, um, he shared a wonderful, the wonderful role that John the Baptist had in the story of Jesus and how he was called to make way for the Messiah. 
And you know, I was thinking about that in some way, you and I have the same calling. Did you know that we have been called to make way for his coming, his return? This time he's not, he's, he's not coming as a Messiah. He's coming as a king, as a ruler, as a judge of all the earth and all his creation to establish his millennial kingdom and bring us back to him. What a beautiful, beautiful moment. I don't know if you're waiting for that, but I am. I'm expecting that day. And say, so one thing that Pastor Mark um, uh, shared with us, he, he, he brought a box. You guys remember that box? And I know many of you were expecting him to jump. You were like, okay, is he going to jump? He's going to do something? But I really hope that you didn't miss the message, you didn't miss the message behind because he was sharing in, in, in a beautiful way how, you know, when you walk with Christ, sometimes it will be difficult. You will experience difficult times. You will have through difficult seasons in your life, but you cannot compare the sufferings of those seasons with the reward that we have with him in eternity and even here on earth. You know that you've gone through different seasons in your life where you, where you thought everything was lost, but there he comes and make all things new again. He is a rewarder of all those who seek him. And if we seek him, he is going to reward us. And then he finished us. <laughs> he finished us with the, the question of his message. It's like, you know, we, we you have made Jesus crew. And, and he, he brought it and he explained it this way. When you go to heaven, what is the character of the Bible that you would like to meet? And many of us started wondering and thinking, wow, I want to meet Elijah. I want to meet Enoch. He never died. He's, he's, he's there. Goodness. And you started thinking about all those Bible characters that have helped us through our spiritual growth and development. But then he flipped the script on us. And he asked us this question. Will you be one that heaven is waiting for to meet? Will you be one that these amazing people will be in line waiting and see. We've heard so many things about you, what you've done for Jesus on earth. We just we couldn't wait to meet you. Will you be one of those? Or will you be just one who no one will care about? I mean, it's a serious question. It's a serious place, but I hope this... It, that message, Pastor Mark, it really ministered to me. It took me to a place of, 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 of reflecting and meditating about what I am doing with my time on earth. What I'm doing with my gifts, my talent, my calling. What I'm doing with my life. Am I just existing? Or am I making an impact, a difference in somebody else's life or my own life? So thank you for that message, Pastor Mark. That was powerful. So I have the difficult task to jump, to continue that and jump into John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, we have a beautiful display because it presents us with the miracle of Canaan. And before we go into reading that chapter, I just want to uh, make a powerful contrast. I would like to start with... Uh, 
something as a footnote, you know, that leads us into, into to, to have just a, a, something that we can reference. It is worth mentioning. Did you know that the first miracle that Moses performed in the Old Testament was turning water into blood? But then we see Jesus, his first sign in the New Testament was turning water into wine. So Moses turned water into blood and that brought death and destruction. But Jesus turned water into wine and that brought life and celebration. In the same way Moses gave the law and 3,000 people died. But here Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people got saved. Definitely Jesus brought a better covenant. How many of you thank the Lord for that? You know, the Bible said that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The law, the scripture says, that was given through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus and through Jesus. So definitely, I want Jesus. I want him. So I want to ask you to stand on your feet. And let's read John 1, verse 1 through 11. So open your Bible or turn on your Bible. <laughs> on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, what are you, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour have not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby is to six stones, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet the banquet they did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine he did not realize where it came from though the servants who had drawn the water knew then he called the bridegroom aside and said everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the chapter and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best still now, until now. Verse 11 says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You may have a seat. Let me just say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you. Thank you for what you are going to share today. Lord, we're hungry for you. We are here for you. We want you. We don't want anything else but you. So I pray that you will give us the bread of life and the spirit of life. 
that you breathe life into us today, Lord. I pray for every bondage to be broken off today. Whatever is causing destruction, whatever is causing interruption, whatever is causing us to be not present, I pray, Father, that you take it away, eliminate it, and help us have a heart for you, Lord, a mind ready, a heart ready to hear and to receive what you have for us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Well, as I share uh, this uh, sermon with you, I just want to share with you several things that will give us a unique perspective of the magnitude of Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine. And I want to explain to you the situation that was taking place in, the, in this, in this uh, moment. First of all, it is believed that this was a poor family. Why do I say that? The fact that the wine ran out said a lot about their financial state. Secondly, the servants had to plan and distribute the resources to make sure that there was enough supply to last for the entire week of the feast, of the celebration. But that did not happen. Someone was in trouble there. Thirdly, if the, if the groom and his family could not supply their guests with adequate amount of wine, they could even face legal consequences according to their culture. So when we put it in, this, in, in perspective, running out of wine will bring more than just a public shame. It could devastate the family. So a lot of people were in big trouble in this occasion. The parents were in trouble. The groom was in trouble. The servants were in trouble. And when Mary found out what was happening, she ran to Jesus and she said, they don't have more wine. And you will say, why did Mary do that? What, what, would she, what, was, what was she thinking? And you know, many people wonder, did Mary, knew, did Mary know that Jesus was going to convert the water into wine? Mary knew that Jesus was going to do some, some uh, miraculous thing. In reality, Mary was being spontaneous. And she knew Jesus. And she knew who he was. And so she ran to him because he was the only one who could do something about it. Amen. And I believe that the act of Mary can teach us a lot of things about prayer, about seeking Jesus. Because the Bible doesn't say that, G that Mary told Jesus what to do. The only thing the Bible say is that Mary came to Jesus and told him what was the situation. And so when we pray, when we seek God, we don't, look, we, don't, we, don't, we don't look like Mary. Most of the time our prayers sound more like instructions on how we want to be blessed. And I think it's valid to compare this scene because we come to Jesus and we think we have the best plan to get us out of trouble, out of the problem, 
that we got ourselves into in the first place. Instead of just crying out to him and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, you are the only one who can do something right now. So I, my, my eyes are set on you, Lord. Come, Lord. Respond. Answer to my prayer. But no, the way we pray is like, Lord, I need this, and I need it by this day and this time, and this is going to happen if I don't get the answer. And we start like describing even the miracle. But that's not the way Jesus works. And that, I believe, is the reason why we get disappointed at God. Because God doesn't work the way we work. He doesn't do the things, you know, he doesn't do things the way you and I want. He has his way. It's like sometimes we want apple and God will give us a seed. But you want the apple. You just want to taste it and buy it and eat it. And God say, yeah, I gave you apple, but, you, you know, it's a seed. There is a process. You have to sow it. You have to tend to it. You have to grow it. You have to water it. You have to, you know, wait. Because he knows that if, if he gives you the apple, he will just satisfy your hunger. And then you will forget. And then you will go back. And then next time you will want a peach or something else. <laughs> But if he gives you the seed, he understands that when you have the seed, there is a process where your character is built. Where you learn how to wait on the Lord and you learn how to pray and you learn how to seek and you learn how to tend to, to what you believe and you learn how to stay steadfast and, and immovable. And you grow in your faith, in your character. So when the time of difficulty comes, you stay strong because the Lord has taught you how to go through the process. But if you always get the apples, when the problem comes, and then you're going to faint. You're going to run away and you're going to start saying, what are you doing, God? And you start getting disappointed and then you leave church. You don't want to talk to anyone. You shut people down. The people that wants to help you. I don't want to get in trouble today. How about that? <laughs> Let's just move on. Let's just move on. Just a smile on me. I know. I, don't be mad at me. And so Mary comes and she asks Jesus and then she turns to the servants and she said, do everything he tells you. And that scene is amazing because Mary believed in Jesus so much that she knew that Jesus was going to do something about it. She understood the situation. She understood that the family's name was in jeopardy. The whole life was in jeopardy. So Mary came to Jesus and she told the, 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 the servants, do everything he tells you. And I think... That is a great, that is a great advice. In fact, I think that's the best advice that we can give to anyone. Do everything Jesus say. We could write sermons, books, songs. We could do a lot on it. Stay in this, in this phrase and preach a hundred sermons. Do everything that Jesus say. Oh, 
How many times I have gotten into trouble for not doing what he said? How many times you have gotten into trouble for not doing what he said? I had a brother coming to me once and he was asking me, Pastor, I cannot hear God's voice. I'm praying, I'm, I'm seeking him, but I just cannot hear his voice. And I, I just felt my spirit to ask him, what was the last thing he told you to do? And you know, sometimes it's not that God is not speaking. It's not that God is not speaking to us. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening to what he's saying or are we just looking for what we want to hear? And that's the problem. We're all, we always want to hear what we want. But God doesn't work that way. So he's always speaking. He has spoken. He's speaking. And he will continue to speak. But he's waiting for ears to hear. And hearts to receive what he is actually saying. So another perspective as I break down this miracle is the fact that not everyone saw the miracle happening. In fact, there were many people there who benefited from the miracle. From the miracle, They had new wine, fresh wine, the best one. They were like, whoa, let's drink some more. They didn't know where it came from. They didn't know where it came from. The Bible actually tells us that only the servants and the disciples saw the miracle. It wasn't the guests. No, it wasn't the master of the ceremony. It was the servants and the disciples. And I think this is a revelation to us today that we have to hold dear in our hearts. I want to challenge you with this and to think about it this way. Did you know that there are miracles and blessings that you can see when you become a servant? When you become a disciple. But no, we live in a society where we want to be served. We want everything to be catered to us. We want the best places, the best chair. We want the best sound. We want the best program. We want the best, you know, children's program. We want the best for our kids. We want the best for us. We want the pastor to preach well. If I pass it, no, I'm not, I'm leaving that church. I'm going to another church. Because we're always expecting to be, for our needs to be met. But what about if we flipped the script and we become servants? And I'm talking about more than just serving here, which is important too. We should serve in the house where we are being fed, where we are growing in the Lord. But I'm talking more than just doing something. I'm talking about position of the heart. I'm talking about having a heart of servant. Having a heart of servant, wherever you go, whatever you are, in your house, in your family, in your workplace, in the community, wherever you uh, make your place in, be a servant. Have a servant heart. How many, how many of you, my ladies here, would like to hear your husband getting up in the morning and say, baby, how can I serve you today? Wow. That is amazing. But no, no, man. <laughs> I was going there. So, man, how would you feel if your lady 
Say amen. If your lady gets up in the morning and she just looks cute and, and, and looks at you and says, baby, how can I serve you today? Hallelujah. <laughs> what about you, young adults or young teenagers? How will you feel, parents, if your kids get up, get up in the morning and say, Mom, Dad, how can I serve you today? Oh, hallelujah! Pastor, I preached my sermon today. Let's go worship him. That's it. I'm telling you, when we have a servant's heart, things will change. We will experience miracles. We will see God moving in our life because that is the pattern of the scripture. It's not the one who sees and receives everything. Who, the one who sees the miracles. It is the one who is serving. Yeah. It's the one who is learning from the master, the disciple. That's the one who experiences miracles, signs, and wonders. And you're wondering why God is not doing something for you. But I want to keep going. Uh, where was Where was I? So... Only the servants and the disciples experience the miracle. And you know, in the context of our church, I just want you to understand something. When we ask you to serve, we are no, we, we just don't want to inconvenience you. We want to position you so you can see the glory of God in a greater way. It's not about you like wasting, wasting your time. It's about you positioning yourself in a place where God can bless you. So another perspective as I keep breaking down this message, in this miracle is that the wine is an element that in order for it to taste good, it must be aged. So the older the wine, the better it tastes. And think, think, think about this for a moment. The wine that Jesus converted tasted much better than the good and excellent wine that was served in the beginning of the celebration. So the master of ceremony himself said it and he called the groom and said, Hey, most people serve the best wine in the beginning, but you have reserved the best for last. So let me put it, let me put it this way. Good wine takes seven to ten years to reach the best taste. Now, the display that we're seeing here is that Jesus made in a moment's time what could easily have taken ten years to make. What does this tell us about Jesus? Do you know that Jesus can do something in a moment that in the natural might take years? Did you know that Jesus can speed up time and do in one day what it could take years to make, to do? Let me bring you a little, a little closer to your heart and to your own life. I know they said that it will take time for, for you to be free from that pattern of life or from that addiction. But did you know that Jesus can heal you today? I know that they say that your son or your daughter will eventually come to Christ. Did you know that Jesus can bring them today? 
I know they say that your marriage is going to take time to heal. But did you know that Jesus can heal it today? In a moment's time, if it's his will, he can do it. And all he wants is us coming to him with a servant heart. Another perspective in this miracle was the jars used for this miracle. The Bible, the scripture tells us that they were jars used for purification in some Jewish rituals. And as this was a poor family, as we have understood according to the context, it is believed that the jars could have been very old and used. However, Jesus chooses them to fill them with water to the brim, to the top. So now Jesus presents a beautiful display that, you know, when you are a preacher, you find a message in every picture that you see, in everything that you hear. So Jesus brings this beautiful picture that he will use anything to perform his will. Even those things or those people that are of no value for some. These jars could represent easily some of those people that today some consider irrelevant and old-fashioned. Those that you consider advanced in years. But the Lord wants to fill them up to the brim. And I believe that the days are coming, church, when God will fill this generation of elders with an anointing to the brim. And they will become bridges of miracles, containers of wisdom and faith for future generations. You know, many think that revival would come from the hands of the young. And I'm a young person too, you know. So I believe that. At least I feel young. But here's the thing. Let me expand your discernment for a moment. I believe that the days are coming when the Lord is going to also use our elders. And he and they will also raise their flaming torches too. And when many told them your best days are behind, Jesus will anoint them once more and they will be used to perform signs, wonders and miracles. I really believe that it takes all of us, not just a group of us. The move of God on the earth, it requires you to say yes. Who wants to be part of this generation? You know what? Grandfather, grandmother, wherever you are, don't you give up. Don't you dare throw in the towel. We are counting on you. Don't give up on us. God still have a plan with you. Stay strong. Believe that God is still at work in your life. And he will not rest until he says it's done. Another perspective with this miracle as we break it down is the obedience of the servants. Can you imagine what was happening what was going through their minds. 
their jobs were on the line. They could have been blamed for not knowing how to plan the supplies for the entire week. I can see them walking around. What am I doing? How did I get here? This is a joke. Fill these jars with water? What? I'm going to lose my job. Nobody's going to want to hire me after they hear what happened here. They were like probably wondering. But the Bible says that they did everything the Lord told them to do. And sometimes the Lord will ask you to do certain things that at first they look crazy. They sound crazy. They don't make sense. But the Lord is going to do something with it. This teaching helps us understand that when we walk in faith and obedience, we will see miracles happening in our lives. I want to share a personal testimony. And it's interesting that the person involved in this testimony is present here today. So it's going to be awesome. Um, so my wife and I bought a house last, last year, November. And as we were moving, we realized that our kids are growing and their beds are getting smaller and they keep growing. And we're like, uh-oh, I think we need new beds. And they have been chatting and talking. We want bunk beds, bunk beds, bunk beds, daddy. We want bunk beds. And we were like, ooh, bunk beds. And, you know, for me, it's easy to go to Walmart and get a $300 bunk bed. You know, ah, let's get it. But as a father, you want to give the best to your kids. And, and you, you just want to bless them and see them happy. And so I don't know where they saw this picture, but they were, like, telling us, I want my bed to have shelves in the bottom and to have a space where I can put a little desk for my homeschool. And, do, and I was like, wait, wait, wait. That sounds like a very expensive bunk bed. I was like, baby, let's take a look. And when we started looking, the prices were crazy. $2,000, $3,000. I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And so we decided to just go and touch and see, you know, I'm a person that I cannot just see. I want to go and touch to see, okay, I like this one. I like this one. Oh, this one looks good. It feels good. And so we decided to go to the store. And, you know, there, there are tens of stores in, 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 in Franklin to go and see beds. And so we, we, we decided to go to the stores in Cold Springs. But my wife and I kept feeling like, you know, we should go to the other side of the country, <laughs> which is in Green Hills. You know how far Green Hills is. It's, that's the way it feels. It's like in another continent. It's like you, you keep driving and it's like, are we going to get there anytime soon? But so we went to Green Hills and there is a very, very expensive store there. Um, is Restoration Hardware. You guys have been there. And, you know, I don't know who buy things in that, in that store. I think only rich, super rich people. Do any of you have money to go and buy? It's that you go there and it's so expensive. Everything is like, you see a couch, $8,000. It's just a couch. You see a little, you know, wooden table and it's like a square, I don't know, 40 by 40 or whatever. $6,000 is like, what? But the Lord put in our heart to go there. And that's the wrong place to go <laughs> if you don't have the budget. Because you get the, the samples and you see all the designs, but then everything else looks ugly and looks bad. And you can go to other stores. You are like, oh, no, that doesn't look like there. 
and so you don't, you don't know what to do. So, so we decided to just go. And as I was walking, I was like, oh, my gosh, what did we, what did we get into? I, I cannot believe it. And so we were passing by the bunk beds, and they were beautiful. And I saw $7,000, $8,000. I was like, let's keep going. And it's beautiful. It's good to have the idea, baby. It's just, it's just an idea. Let's not spend too much time here. But we kept on walking, and we, we went to floor by floor. There were five-story floors, and we got to the last one is the, is the patio, you know, this play where all the patio furniture is, and they have, like, beautiful artificial plants and things like that. It looks so beautiful. And so as we were walking there, I saw this lady sitting here with a cup of wine just relaxing. She was just looking so relaxed, and I, I was like, wow, this is a... Now, this is a display, but this is a nice place to sit. And I saw her, and I was walking with my kids, and she looked at my kids, she smiled, and she looked at me, she said, hi. And I was like, hi. And so I just kept on walking, and Mia was coming behind me. And she stopped and started talking with her. And then Mia shared with her, oh, no, we're just here because, you know, we were moving, and our kids, they want bunk beds, and... So we, we just wanted to see the bunk beds here. Now, it's not that we want to buy anything here, but we just want to just see them. And then this lady, she just said, well, that, that's interesting. I just feel like I, I was just praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what am I going to do with those bunk beds that I have in my garage? I don't have kids. My nephews, they come once a year. Sometimes they don't even show up. It's like, what should I do with them? Should I give them away? So the Lord spoke to this lady, brought her to the top of this expensive store to meet with us because we needed a bunk bed. So for us, it didn't make any sense to go to that store. That was crazy. But we decided to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit who had something prepared for us. And you know what's interesting about this story? That Nina had a little doll that she, I always tell them, do not bring dolls to the stores. Somehow she got it and she brought it. And the name of the doll is the name of the person that gave us the bunk beds. That's how God is. That's how he is. So I want to encourage you today that when God speaks to you, when God leads you to do something, even if it sounds crazy, don't you doubt. Don't you dare to question him. Just follow him. Just say, yes, Lord, let your will be done. I'm here. I'm your servant. I do whatever you want me to do. That's the way God is. That's the way he works. So faith and obedience led the servants to experience Jesus' first miracle. You know, I didn't want to... I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to embarrass her, but Kelsey, her name, the lady, Chelsea, the, the, the lady who gave us the bomb bed, she's actually here today visiting us. Hi, Chelsea. <laughs> what amazing. Thank you for coming. Hey, Amen. <laughs> you blessed us, and now your story is blessing others. So thank you for being obedient to the Lord. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so I even had Steve Culver uh, coming and, and helping me pick up the beds because they were very, very heavy. Uh, it's, it's a very hard, you know, wood and all that. So it, it's a blessing. 
And I hope this blesses you today. So now, as we broke down this message, this, this miracle, we are closing. We're getting close into the end of this chapter where Jesus now, he leaves this place. He performed this miracle. A lot of people were like just enjoying the wine, but few people got to experience the miracle. The disciples now believed in Jesus. Their faith was stronger. Now Jesus takes them to Jerusalem. And then in Jerusalem, they were, being, they were participating of the Passover of the Jews. And, you know, there were three uh, feasts that all men were required to attend in Jerusalem. It was the Feast of Passover, the, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So Jesus was there, and as he went to the temple court, and I want to put that as a homework, so keep reading John chapter 2, because that's what we're getting into. So as, he, Jesus, as Jesus comes to the temple court, he encountered an interesting scene. There were people selling oxen, pigeons, sheep, animals that were used for sacrifices in the temple. And there were money changers there too. And these people basically, they were there to make their religious life more convenient and easier. They will have the animals that people would use for their sacrifices there. They had the temple money to exchange for the Roman currency that most people carry. They were there to make life easier. So people didn't have the need to raise animals to bring them for miles. So there was no cost in their worship. So they would come and everything was served for them. They would come with money and say, oh, I need that sheep. That looks perfect. That can, I, I think that can be my sacrifice. And they would get the sheep and they would get the dove and they would get the oxen and they would just sacrifice those animals. So there was no cost for their worship, for their sacrifices. And so that is no different today. Today, we have many problems with the way Many churches make their programs more comfortable because that serves to bring more people. Many churches build their programs with people in their mind. And I just want to say this because this has been my experience in Southview. I believe our hearts as we come together as a staff and pastors and we cast vision and we see what the Lord is doing and we walk in obedience to what he is calling us to. I believe that have been the heart of Pastor Mark and Pastor Leon for the last 15 years. The heart of Southview is to build our programs, not with people in our mind, but with Jesus in the center. It's not to make church more comfortable for you, but to make church a place where Jesus will feel comfortable, a place where Jesus can make his habitation, a place where Jesus is, and we all can come and meet him. That is our heart's desire, and I hope it is yours too. Unfortunately, many people look for comfortability when they come to a church. Because they come with a consumer mentality. What is in it for me? But never the question come of, what can I do and give in this place? How can I be useful? 
how the Lord, how Jesus can you use me in this place? Did you know that many people come to church, but they never come to Christ? Today, there are many people who come to Jesus, to come to the church, I'm sorry, but they never come to know Christ. They never get to know Jesus in an intimate and personal way. They get to know Jimmy, they get to know Fred, but they don't get to know Jesus. So in this portion, Jesus shows up in the temple and purifies the temple. He turns all the tables and he casts everybody out. He said, get out of here. My house will be called a house of prayer. So he purified the temple, and I believe that's what Jesus is doing today as well. He's showing up in churches, visiting places of worship, and purifying their hearts, their motives, bringing them back to the heart of worship. Cleaning their hearts, hearts, and making and creating hearts that love him, that know him, and that surrender to him. That say yes to him, and they do everything Jesus said. You know, the Bible says that the disciples, when they saw Jesus doing this, they remembered the scripture that says, zeal for your house consumes me. That's in Psalm 69, 9, which is actually one of the most cited Psalms in the New Testament. In fact, 17 times was quoted in the New Testament by Jesus and other personalities. Zeal, zeal for your house consumes me all how we need people with zeal for God and for his house. Oh, how we need people with passion for the things of God. How, how we need people that have commitment to the house of the Lord. And Jesus closes this chapter with something that it really changed my heart. Verse 23 and 24. The Bible tells us that many believed in him, and surely some may say, wow, what a wonderful thing that many people believe in Jesus. But this is not what you think. This was no real faith. It was not a pure faith. It was not a saving faith. Because the next verse tells us this. Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. So that's the title of my message. You will say, well, the title is usually given in the beginning, but I did it on purpose. Because this question is also for you and me. Does Jesus entrust himself to you? What do you mean when you say you believe in Jesus? When you believe, do you believe that he is God, that he is powerful, that he is eternal, that he is holy? Well, even demons believe that. The question for you is, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust that he is your personal savior? The one who died for you on the cross to redeem you. Do you trust that he's powerful to save you? Do you believe in his love for you? Do you trust his words? Do you trust his promises? Do you trust that he has the best intentions for you and your family? 
that he has forgiven your sins and remembered them no more so you don't have to continue remembering them and living in them. Do you trust him? Can you stay firm even if things don't go the way you like? Can you praise him even if you don't have what you need? Even if you're experiencing lack, even if you are going through trials and sufferings, can you raise your hands and say one hallelujah? Can you praise Jesus even if he doesn't do anything else for you? Can you say, Lord, you are worthy of my praise. Even if you don't do anything else for me, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy, Lord. If we are clear with that position of the heart, I really believe that we are going to see greater things in our lives. Can you worship Him? Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.